of respect for God's word, would you please stand? Our very short passage today is from Matthew 16, verses 24 to 25. Jesus is speaking to his men. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You may be seated. Thank you, Robin Kurt. Um, I'm an unfamiliar face for some of you, probably most of you actually. Um, my name's Justin Valiquet. My wife, Abby, our four kids were um, active members here, I think beginning in 2003 um, until 2008 when the Lord had called us uh, overseas to serve him in Italy. So we have been uh, one of your missions partners for the past 13 years and um, gladly serving the Lord and taking part in what he's doing uh, to redeem a very lost and very dark country. Um, Italy is an interesting place because it has so much roots. You see Jesus everywhere, but at the same time, nowhere at all um, in the lives of the people. And we had the privilege of planting a church over there. And it's been amazing to see how God has raised up people. He's moved in hearts. He's saved people, um, uh, raised up leaders. And we had the honor and privilege and joy and sadness and loss of turning it over to the Italian people. So um, I, I think you guys have been hearing some about Salerno, some videos this summer, but just be praying for the people of Salerno, the church Nuova Vita Salerno. Uh, many of you or some of you have been there. We've served, spent time in Italy with some of you. Uh, your pastor Jim and, and his family were there with us for a year um, at the very, very beginnings of, of uh, what we had at that point was only a dream. And so just would encourage you to continue to pray. Um, I was honored when Jim had asked if I would come and preach, and, and to be to be honest, I was like, well, this is you know over the holidays, it's nice to have some time off, and I've one of the benefits of serving overseas for so long is that I had about 300 sermons in a language that nobody's ever heard before. So I mean, I got a whole bank of sermons I could pull from and nobody's ever heard. So I'm like, this will be easy. Just pull out an old sermon, which as long as it's my own, I feel like there's morally and ethically, I'm probably okay with that. Um, but as I was, it was interesting, it was the day after Christmas, um, I had known, you know, that this Sunday was coming up and I was sitting by the tree, there was Christmas shrapnel all over the floor. My heart my, was just, I, I just had this sense of, I was unsettled in my heart. You know how that feeling when, they actually, I think there's even a clinical term for it, the holiday blues, the Christmas post-holiday depression. A lot of people that have existing difficulty with their emotional health, a lot of times really struggle through the holidays. There's so many highs and so many lows and so many um, unmet expectations or overmet expectations, emotional roller coaster. And I was just sitting there by myself, the tree was twinkling and I was, I was just thinking about it all. And I just had this sense of like, what now? What's next? Like, oh, we well, got New Year's. We can look forward to that. And then it's like, well, then we've got, you know, what we call resolutions. Usually it's more like a one week to do list in January before we quit, you know? And so it's just one of those things like, I'm just going to be disillusioned by that too. And we don't even know what we're doing yet for New Year's. And I just had this sense of like, I was unsettled. I was unrest. I felt empty in a sense. 
In fact, I, I, I felt something made me think of, of gas, um, <laughs> the car kind. And, and I, since we've been back to America, I'm like, man, you people drive everywhere. You got like multiple cars. Like I lived in a city in Italy, you just walk five minutes to everything. And so gas was really expensive over there, but we, we filled up the tank very little. Over here, it's like, man, I'm filling up my tank. I don't you know, a couple times a week. And every time I'm not in my car, I'm in our other car. And like that one's running on empty. And I just was reflecting all these things so much. So I'm like, man, it, is this like the rhythm of life? Like we just live from one high to the next and one fulfilling thing to the next and we're just but we're constantly feeling like we're struggling on empty and coming out of the holidays going into 2022 I just wonder does Jesus not have more for us um, I'd like to pray for us and then I'd like to bring up a really cheesy prop I asked Jim if he's ever used props during a sermon and he said one time so I'm like we're going for number two so I, I brought a gas tank with me because we're talking about running on empty so this is Jim's gas tank so if you have issues with props take it out with Jim. He said it was okay. He didn't tell me how it would go. So we'll find out. I also have a really cheesy alliteration that I'm going to give to you at the end of the sermon. So uh, you could hold out for that too. Um, let me pray for us. And uh, I'd like to reread the text that Rob so graciously read for us just moments ago. Jesus, thank you so much that um, there is a greater hope that we can be anchored to, or as Kurt prayed, that we could be buoyed to, that there's a sense amidst the storm and amidst the struggles that there is something greater. And we know, Jesus, that you offer us something far greater. And so today, would you just speak and minister to our hearts? Would you meet us in our in our grief, in our sorrow, in our joys, in our highs and our lows, would you minister to us? Would we see you as great and worthy and above all? Would we trust in you this morning? Lead us, Lord. We know this is your word, not ours. We know that without your spirits um, teaching us and bringing it to our hearts that nothing can stick. And so we just pray that your Holy Spirit, that you truly would open our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, that we would truly see the beauty of Christ this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're in Matthew 16, if you'd like to open there. Um, and we will we'll stay there. And I'm hoping... Um, this morning to draw, this is a very familiar text for those of you who have been in church for any amount of time. Um, and honestly, that morning when I was sitting there by the Christmas tree, this was where I happened to be in my Bible reading. As you can tell, I'm a couple months behind on my one year plan. I'm only in Matthew and the new year has hit. Um, but this is where I landed. And, and as I was sitting there, just thinking of all of kind of the, this, these emotions of the holidays, the Lord really ministered to me this, to, uh, through this text, and I hope and pray that the same would be true for you. What we're going to see today in the text, and in fact, what I'm going to do is something. I'm going to kind of walk, walk through the text quickly, and I'll draw out three truths, and then I really want to just dig in to life. Where do we falter? Where do we fail? Why do we always feel like we're kind of running on empty? Like if you see this, like in somebody's in their driveway, they're probably doing the, the you know, mowing the lawn or something, right? But if they're running, walking on the side of the road, it's a different story. And so often in life, we just have that sense of we're running on empty and we're, put, we're, we're topping off the tank, but not with anything that really lasts. And so what we do is we go and buy a Tesla because... <laughs> You don't have to fill those up. And we're like saving the world with those things right now. But then you realize if you take a road trip with the Tesla, you're stopping to charge every couple hours and it just adds time. There, there, there's just a sense of running on empty in life. 
And, and I, as I was reading this text, I was like, there, there's got to be more. And so what we'll see in the text today is we'll see an open invitation, we'll see a costly calling, and we'll see a priceless reward. Jesus is with his disciples. He says, if anyone would come after me, we see right out of the gate, Jesus is just showing us that there, there is nobody in this room and nobody on this planet that is not invited to the table, so to speak. If anyone would come after me. And I want to just camp here for a moment, though it's not necessarily tied to my main idea of the sermon, because I know that so many of us struggle all the time with the fact that of who we are and the mistakes that we've made, as Matt shared before, that some of us, we come into church with this sense of guilt. Some, some of us are even here because we feel like we have to kind of, kind of fill up our spiritual capital in the bank because we just don't necessarily feel invited to the table just yet. We haven't made it. Some of you perhaps have a past in which you say, God could never fully accept me for who I am and what I've done. Many of us have struggled with something different. Maybe we understand it mentally, but we struggle with spiritual amnesia. We forget what we already know. And here we are again in the cycle of just trying to prove ourselves to God and trying to earn our way back to the table. But Jesus here is in, in just such a, in one word, if anyone would come, there is no prerequisite. There is no curriculum or, or resume that we have to bring. Jesus is not opening up his app and swiping left or right if we're good enough or bad enough. The invitation is open for all of us. And Jesus is saying, come if anyone would come after me. We know John 3.16 well, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But it says that whosoever believes in him, Right? Not whoever has their stuff together. Whoever's clean enough and pure enough and has done all the right things. Whosoever would come after me. Whosoever believes would not perish but have eternal life. The invitation to true life is open to all. If anyone would come. But with this open invitation, we see something of a costly calling. If anyone would come after me, let him do what? Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. The crosses would not have been uncommon language. The disciples would have fully understand, understood what Jesus was referring to. It was an instrument of death. Come and die. The invitation to follow Jesus comes with a cross. It's a costly calling. Let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. That's what it looks like to follow me. It's a costly calling. The invitation is open. But the road is narrow, isn't it? Those who would choose to follow him because it is costly. but it also comes with a reward, a priceless reward, because Jesus says whoever would save his life will ultimately lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's an invitation to true life, eternal life. Grace is indeed free, it's a free gift, it's unmerited favor from God, but it's not cheap. It came at great cost to the Father who sacrificed his only Son. And for us, it's a call 
to follow. We live in the app culture, don't we? I think, they, I think our kids are the first generation, they're saying, of people that their primary identity is determined by their social life, their apps that they use, the, the presence that they have online. We're addicted to apps. But there's a stig, stigma with apps, isn't there? That if, if it's really free, it's probably extremely cheap. Anything of worth, any app of worth outside of the social media world it comes with probably a monthly subscription, an annual subscription, or we at least pay $3.99 for it in the app store. The gospel is not cheap. It's a costly call for us, but it comes with a great reward that Jesus says, whoever would come after me will find life. And in a sense, as I was sitting by the Christmas tree, And I was processing that sense of emptiness, presents that were opened, wrapping paper, looking to what's next. I wondered how much I was looking to those things to give me life. And that's what I want to unpack for a little bit. I want to try to wrap our minds around this concept. I want to dig into the text and understand what is... We, we know what Jesus is saying. Anyone can come. It costs a lot, but the reward is great. We understand it mentally, but what does he mean by that? Do we have to sell all that we have? Is that the only way to find life? Do we have to deny our calling, our passions, our visions for ourselves and our families? Is he calling us to renounce all that we have to become a Christian? I want to draw out a couple key words from the text that I think will help us understand the concept of what Jesus is getting at. We know that it's for anyone. The invitation is open. We know that something has to be put to death. And we see Jesus talk about denying our selves. And he talks about finding life and losing life. And then in verse 26, he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So he's talking about gain. What can we gain from this world? There's there's an aspect to who we are that was undone at the garden. When you think back to creation, there was this picture of heaven, the simplicity of humanity dwelling with God, God in his rightful place on the throne of their lives. And yet he gave them so much. He created all these things around them, all of creation as good and wonderful gifts that were meant to be secondary to their worship of God alone. And something got flip-flopped, didn't it? Where all of a sudden they took the things that God had made and they made them ultimate. The fruit looked good. There must be more. Self assumed the throne and God was removed. Jesus here is telling us that we need to deny ourselves. Does that mean deny everything about who we are? I don't think so. Because there are so many things about who I am that God made me that way and I reflect his image to the world around me. Even the dreams and passions that I have when tested 
I, I dream and plan and hope for good things for my family and for our lives. We want to be useful for the kingdom. Is Jesus saying, deny all of that? There's an element of self corrupted by the fall that dreams for more. What do we do? We pursue life outside of God himself. We turn the things that God has given us as good gifts and we turn them into ultimate things to find life in those things. And Jesus is saying, if you want to come after me, you have to deny yourself the self that finds life in the gains that we can get from the world. Because true life is found in me alone. And that's really the heartbeat behind it. That's where, as I was sitting by the tree, running on empty, feeling like I just put another five gallons in the tank to get through the holidays, and now I feel like I need five more. Well, then New Year's is coming. And I know what happens after New Year's is I feel overweight and tired, and now I don't know what to do with myself, and so I'm going to look to the next thing to find life. There's something about self that looks to things in the created world, in the way in which we live it, that we find life in those things to fill our tank through what we can gain from the good things that God has given us. The world offers us a lot. Possessions and provisions are things that are, could be tremendous gifts for God, but when we live to accumulate them, you've seen the shirt, he who dies with the, the most toys wins. There's that mentality of, I need more. The toy I'm playing with is boring, I need a new one, and I won't be happy until I get it. We've seen it in our children. We can get affirmation and approval all the time from the world around us, especially on social media. Post a good picture. The world offers us power and authority, all things that lead to some sense of life. I'm happy now. I finally have what I want. I finally got that promotion. Self craves more and more. It's like a dragon that won't eat and won't stop sleeping, and we feed it with temporal things to ease its hunger, safety and security. When you think of the temptation of Jesus, the devil offered, offered him provisions, power, authority, protection. But Jesus could see through the lies. But we're often not so aware because we turn these good things into ultimate things. A.W. Tozer um, was a pastor. He's since died. He, he wrote this. He said, in the deep heart of man was a shrine where none but God was worthy to come. Within him, within him was God, and without him were a thousand gifts which God had showered upon him. But sin has introduced complications and has made those very gifts of God a potential source of ruin for the soul. Our woes began when God was forced out of his central shrine and things were allowed to enter in. Within the human heart, things have taken over and men 
have now by nature no peace within their hearts, for God is crowned there no longer. We're always seeking life from the gains of this world because self is hungry for more. Tozer called this the tyranny of things, usurping Christ from his rightful throne. We say things like, or maybe we don't say it because it'd be too obvious, but we think things like, if I don't have that thing, I'm not truly living. Or our desires, things that we would like to have, become things that we need to have. They become demands. It's one thing for me to desire to be respected in my home as a father and as a husband. It's another thing to demand it. It's one thing to be liked and appreciated and being okay with that by the people around me, but it's another thing for me to chase after it, hungry for blood. I need the affirmation of the people around me. You've read the articles, what is social media doing to our youth? Anxiety, depression. Why? Because they're always thirsty for more. More likes, more approval. We're ultimately feeding the dragon that's going to slay us. Jesus says, whoever would save that life, the life of self, the life that looks to the good things that God has made and turns them into ultimate things, the life that is filling up his tank with temporal solutions is ultimately going to lose the life that he's searching for. And so Jesus invites us to come and to die to slay the dragon, to put Christ in his rightful place on the throne because he alone is the only thing that is the ultimate reward. He does promise life. He promises reward. He promises treasures in heaven delight of the heart. But rewards are funny, aren't they? Because typically rewards are something you have to earn. I remember when I was in elementary school, I lived in Connecticut and they had a race called the turkey trot for Thanksgiving. And there's this new kid that transferred from Jamaica and he was in elementary school, but he's like five foot 11. He had like fresh prince hair. His belly button was actually like this, this long. And he was really fast, fast. And I remember thinking like, I had a shot cause I was, I was actually pretty athletic, but this new kid was like really, really fast. And we had the race and, you know, I was all excited because I saw him take off and he was like a full lap ahead of everybody. And I'm thinking, man, I lost it. I'm not going to get whatever this prize is. And, and, uh, halfway through the last lap, he just collapsed. Cause it was like the tortoise and the hare type thing. And he just collapsed to the ground and I ran by him, won the race. And I'm like, great. I get my reward. The first re- reward that I was most excited about was the affirmation that I was going to get from all the kids in school. And sure enough, like I win the reward and they pull, they, they bring us up front. And then the girl that won the award was, was kind of the girl that I was, I had, you know, we were kind of the thing. Her name was Greer Manny, but everyone called her Greer Mayonnaise. And so they, they announced and everyone's like, oh, Justin Battlecat and Greer Mayonnaise won the race. And then it was all these, ooh, and ahs. And so the affirmation, I was so excited to get. Now all of a sudden I'm, ex- I'm embarrassed. 
And then guess what they give the, a kid for winning a race? They give me a turkey of all things. It's like, who in the world gives a kid a turkey? Like, oh, great job. Here's a giant turkey. I just saved your parents 50 bucks. And I hated turkey. Or maybe I hated turkey because of that. I, I would always look forward to the honey-baked ham until I smoked a turkey a couple years ago. And if you know, you know. Anybody for the smoked turkey? Yes, amen. Yeah, that, that reinvigorated me for the turkey. I was chasing the reward, but in something very temporal momentary, and I was sorely disillusioned. But that's my elementary school life. What about today? We just moved back from living overseas for 13 years. I have the opportunity to kind of reinvent myself, right? Who do we want to be here? Who do I want to become? We, by God's grace, the Lord provided financially. We were able to get into some cars. And see, before I went to Italy, I had a Mustang 5.0. And then when we started having kids, I turned that into a, a uh, what is it? A uh, Dodge, uh, whatever, SUV with a Hemi 5.7 liter engine. You know, I took a little bit of pride in these big engine cars. And now we're coming back. And I'm like, well, I need to get something that's a little more gas efficient. And so I, I go with like a crossover because I thought those are cool. They're kind of like SUVs. But every time I go out in my, car, my crossover and I see someone else driving it, it, it's a lady. I'm like, I bought a woman's car. I'm really struggling. I, I tell you, it's a, ask my wife. It is a daily struggle. I, every time I pull out, I'm like, I'm like wait, there's one there. Dang it. It's like another lady. So I mean, it's like, I'm wrestling with this sense of identity. What are people going to think of me? Like I'm working for a church in Southwest Florida. Man, if they get, catch wind of this, what are they, are they, am I going to become like the office joke? I bought the ladies' car. Do I need to like wear a wig to fit in when I'm driving so I at least don't feel so bad about myself? Possessions, social status, those are all things that I struggle with. I always have. And I, what do I do? The next, you know, cool thing or whatever, I fill up the tank, $5 more, gives me a little bit of momentary pleasure, and then I'm right back at it again. The dragon's hungry. What about bigger things? Even preaching this sermon, if I'm honest with you guys, I might as well be. I was like, I haven't preached an English sermon in a really, really long time. What if I blow it? And, and like we're kind of in this place of like our future career, we're going to stay in ministry. And like I, we've, I've had some like questions with churches like, well, do you have any sermons you could send me? I've like, got like 200 of them, but they're all in Italian. That's not going to help you. So in a way, I'm like, man, this is like, this is like my scouting video. Like for there may be a church might hire me. This is my chance. If I blow this, you know, it's like, and I'm wrestling. I'm like, and, and then I, I probably need to get one of those preacher pictures for my profile. You know, the ones that the guys are posing for the picture. It's like, I, I can't tell you how much I really love when pastors, that's their profile picture of them preaching. It's like, it's like, I mean, do y'all even have a camera in here? Why aren't you snapping pictures? I need to beef up my resume. But in reality, like my future's at stake, right? We got on the plane to move back here and we knew we heard from God, it is time to turn the church over to the Italian people. We knew that. I'm like, great, what do you have for us next? He's silence. For a full, I mean, we, we, we had 12 months notice. We know when we're leaving, silence the whole time. And we're like, maybe we should stay longer because at least over there we're, we're secure. We have a house, we have a job. Silence. We know God is calling us to leave. We know that it's time to entrust it to the leaders in Italy. Get on the plane. Silence. Visiting with family. And they're like, what in the world are you doing? 
moving back home. Where are you going? Well, we have a house, temporary house down in Fort Myers. What are you going to do? I don't know. How is that possible? I don't know. Like it, it, you know, our future, we like to plan. We like to know what's happening, don't we? And most of the time we plan our own way because we like to be in control of our plan. And then we submit it to the Lord in prayer. We have peace about it. Of course we do because it's our plan. And then we press on. But what about when your future's at stake? Talk about running on empty. If I'm putting my hope in my security of my future, I'm done for. The Lord is teaching us day in and day out that I cannot find my life in those things. I drive a woman's car. I have no future job. (laughs) It's not as bad as I'm making it out to be, but you get the picture. What is it for you? What is the self-life that you need to die to? What are the things that you're running to to give you life? What's your cheesy prop? (laughs) What's your gas tank? What are you filling up with to drive a few more miles before you feel like you're running on empty again? You may or may not be familiar with Jeremiah chapter 2. I want to read this because it's a, I think the, the problem, as I mentioned, the problem that we deal with goes back to the garden. It was not unfamiliar for the people of Israel. It's not unfamiliar to us. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water. And they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you get the imagery? They're literally, there's a fountain flowing with water. There, always available. Go and drink, be refreshed, find life. There's probably an oasis around the fountain because water gives life to things. And we're over here in the dirt, digging out holes, hoping to find a drop. And of course, as soon as a little bit of water goes in, what does it do? It seeps through the ground. Be appalled. That's how dumb it is. If you really get what we're doing, when we're running to temporal things to find life, when we have the eternal who dwells in us, who's around us, who ministers to us. We're surrounded by a community of people and he dwells in them. Jesus has given us all that we need in him and we're over here in the sand digging up holes and pouring a cup of water in it, hoping it'll stay. If we really understood what we were doing, we'd be appalled as well the heavens see it and they're appalled because it's just folly Jesus is inviting us to die to that part of who we are 
the self that seeks after worldly gains. Because he said, even if you gained everything the world has to offer, you will lose the one thing that matters. Even if you get the approval that you want from the people around you, even if you get the promotion, even if you have the money in the bank that you need, even if I have a car that's a little more masculine, you forfeit your soul. You're forsaking the fountain. I think it was C.S. Lewis that said that we are like babies or kids who grow up in the slums who are forsaking a holiday at sea to make mud pies in the slums because we don't know the riches of what's been offered to us. Jesus put it in a way that he says the kingdom of God, if you really understood the life that you can have in Christ is like a treasure hidden in a field. And it's worth selling everything that you have to buy the treasure because it's gain compared to what you get. It's like a pearl of great price that's worth all that we have because the pearl is of such value. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's saying, the invitation is open, but you have to see me as more valuable than the things you're leaving behind. You have to see the life that you have in me as infinitely more valuable as the life that you gain in the things that the world has to offer. Deny yourself, the dragon that's always hungry and always feeding, and come to the giver of life. Because if you're willing to lose this life, you'll gain this one. But if you're unwilling to lose this life, and you still run to these things, you lose very life that you're seeking to gain. And we read this in our Bible readings or whatever, and we plow over it because one, we think maybe it's too extreme, or two, it's just another paragraph in another chapter in another book. And we lose sight of the one who's saying it and what's happening all, of, all around him. Jesus is telling his disciples, come and die if you want to follow me because in dying you find life. But he's the one who just fed 4,000 people, heals entire regions, raises people from the dead. Right after this proclamation in Matthew 16, we see him transfigured before their very eyes, white as the sun, talking to Moses and Elijah I think it will fall differently on their ears, won't it? This is the one who's about to die and be raised from the dead. And he's telling them it's worth it. And I'm telling you that I struggle to believe it. But when I do, I know that it's worth it. Because he is still the one who raises the dead. He is still the one who gives sight to the blind. He is still the one who heals regions and broken hearts. He is still and always will be the fountain that never ceases. And he is still today inviting us to forsake the five-gallon tanks that will never last and come to the car with eternal solar panels that charge and never stop charging as long as they're fixated on the sun. You see what I did there? The 
S-O-N. Which means I don't need to find life anymore in the car that I drive. Although every time I get out and take the wig off, my hair's a little messed up. And so (laughs) I don't need to know what my tomorrow holds. I'd like to. I'll keep asking, but I don't need it. I don't need your approval. I'm perfectly content if I leave here today and Jim's like, well, we're never inviting him back here. Why? Well, it'll give me some clarity about my future, hopefully. (laughs) But because I don't need your approval. I'm just being as faithful as I can be with the word of God that's in front of me and I have all the approval I need in Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, deny that self and follow me. So when I go to those things and I look at them and say, do I need to find life in, in knowing my future or can I follow the God who has my future perfectly planned out and in his hand? Do I need to find life in the approval of others or can I follow the one who approves of me because his righteousness has been given to me and bestowed to me? Do I need to find life in my possessions and keep trying and seeking for more or can I follow the one who owns the cattle on a thousand? He will provide for me in my need. Daily bread. Because that's all I need to be happy because I have the fountain of life flowing in and through me. That's his invitation to us. Die so that you might truly live. Deny the things that don't ultimately give you life to open your arms and embrace the one who does. If you would come after me, and this is an invitation to every one of us, would you deny the self that sits on the throne and that seeks gains from this world to find life in the temporal things? And would you follow after the one who is life and who gives life and he gives it abundantly? I think it's time for me to close and I want to close with my cheesy alliteration that I promise you because I know you've been holding out for it. What do you do when your car breaks down? Who do you call? Triple A, not the Ghostbusters. Someone say Ghostbusters. You call Triple A, right? So I'm going to give you three A's by way of application as we close. Assess, adjust, and abide. We're going into 2022. 2021 was a certain type of year. All of us are hoping for more. But as Matt said before, if we have any resolve, I don't remember what your resolution was because I was thinking about the one I was going to present, but, but the theme is there. We don't need to resolve to do better with our cisterns. Let's resolve to run to the fountain. Let's assess how are we doing. And I'm going to give you a moment in, in just a minute here to assess, to have some personal reflection. Confess to the Lord where Where are you going to find life? What are the things of this world that are good things even, that rather than just desiring them, you're demanding them. What are the things that you run to to fill your tank? Confess it to the Lord. Acknowledge that that does not ultimately give life. Pray to him, Lord, give me the strength 
to turn only to you for life and to see these things as good gifts from you, but not ultimate things. Assess how we're doing. Adjust. Let's put these gifts in their proper place. Put them where they belong, not on the throne where self rules and reigns, but as gifts that we hold with open hands. Put Jesus where he belongs, on the throne, ruling and reigning, and as the source of life. And thirdly, abide. Let us pursue Jesus because you know the best way to diminish the power of unworthy things that rule over our hearts is to see something far greater. If we could just abide in his love this year, if we could just abide in fellowship with God, if we could just abide in his goodness and abide in the life that he gives us, we will no longer need to run to worthless things because we see that there's nothing but mud in the cistern and there's a fountain of living water that's been made available to us. So would we assess, adjust, and abide? This is an invitation to all of us. Some of you perhaps have never made a decision to follow Christ for your salvation. Maybe you're a churchgoer, maybe you're not. This invitation starts with acknowledging that Jesus is who he said he was. That God had to come to earth to die for our sins so that through his death we might be given new life in him and we are saved as we read before in John 3.16 that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. But it's also an invitation for those who maybe have already made that decision. It's an invitation to run to Christ to find life. So every time you are mowing your lawn or every time you're filling up your gas tank yet again or every time you drive by a gas station or every time you charge your cell phone or any time you run to anything that diminishes it or depletes its power or resources, may it be a reminder to us in 2022 that Christ is our ultimate gain, that he is superior and worthy. And maybe we, maybe we, may we be resolved to know him more deeply. I'd like to close with a quote from a guy named Jack Miller. If you've never heard of him, look him up and read his biography. He wrote, and I just, someone shared this on Instagram. I liked it, and I'm like, man, if this could be true of me. The only New Year's resolution that I make every year is to collapse more fully on Christ. I trust in Jesus' resolve, not mine. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy. You are the fountain of life. You are life in abundance. You are the treasure hidden in the field, the pearl of great price. And yet we run time and time again back to futile things that offer momentary pleasures, momentary solutions to an eternal problem. Lord, would we run to you time and time again? Would we run to you as the fountain of living water so that that water would run in and through us and overflow to the world around us? Would 2022 be a year marked for Orlando Grace Church, for the Valaket family, as a year in which we pressed in and fell deeply into the arms of Jesus so that we might find true life in him alone? In Jesus' name, amen.
Again, I'd like to invite you to time of reflection. Perhaps you could spend this time just assessing and confessing before we come to take communion. Where are the areas in your life in which Christ is not on the throne? He's more of the genie in the bottle that provides the things that give us life than he is the actual giver of life. Spend some time assessing and confessing before God and we'll come together to the table. Thank you.